Good morning, FUMC Canyon, and to all of our guests tuning in online, I want to say welcome to week two of our series, Disconnected. This two-week series, we are actually focusing on the significance and the importance of connection. Now, connection is an important topic all the time, but I think it's especially important today when we have been gifted by God with the opportunity to slow down. In this time and in this day, during this season, we should be asking ourselves the question, where am I or where have I disconnected? And today's scripture is a powerful but also a convicting example of the consequences of living disconnected. And so what I want to do is I want to take us to our scripture. I want to go ahead and read that for us this morning. You can find this scripture in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I find this section of scripture fascinating. And as I studied, I came across some some pretty insightful comments from from commentators and and theologians alike. One that really stuck out to me was J. Ellsworth Callis. He comments that no doubt this story is intended to suggest the birth of different languages. But I think it means more than that. I believe it also describes the breakdown of communication that goes further than language, as important as language is. Now, Callus is exactly right. Within this text, it is clear that there has been a breakdown in communication. It appears that what the people of Genesis were attempting to do, the, the building of the city and, and the building of the tower, taking what was modern technology at the time, taking a brick and building a, a safe and good place was a safe and good thing. They were striving to, to hold their community together and to keep everyone unified in one community. But if we're going to discover where the breakdown of communication happened, we need to ask ourselves an important question. Is safe and good what God has called his people to? 
Is that God's will and purpose for us to always to embrace what is safe and good? J. Ellsworth Callis goes on to say, thus Babel was not necessarily condemned for its sized or its closed bounded style of living, but for the attitude that it impelled. It was a congregant body united in rebellion against God, led by a man named Rebellion, Nimrod. Now, that seems contradictory, doesn't it? I mean, why wouldn't why would God judge his people striving to do something that they believed was safe and they believed was good? Well, in order to understand that, we need to take a step back and we need to look at what God's plans and purposes were for his people, for his nation. And so in order to do that, we have to go back to the very first chapter in the the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 28. We see there that God blessed Adam and Eve, and then God told them this after blessing them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then going on from there, we can find in Genesis chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, God says this to Abraham. He says, I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemy, and by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessings for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. From these two scriptures, we can determine what God's plans and purposes are for his people, for his nation. See, God's plan was for his people to spread throughout the whole earth and subdue it. And then his plan was that through their faithfulness and dependence on God, he would bless them. We talked a little bit about that last week, about how faithfulness and and work coincide with one another. So God's desire was for them to spread over the earth, to live lives of faithfulness, and to let God pour out his blessings upon them. And then the, the third piece of God's plan was that through God blessing his people, the surrounding nations might take notice. And by God's people being a blessing to the nations, those nations would be drawn to God. But when we read Genesis, that doesn't appear to be the intent or the attitude of the people of the city of Babel. That doesn't seem to be the intent at all. I mean, if you go and look again at verse 4, they say, let us make a name for who? For ourselves. See, their focus was on them and how they could be safe and how they could do something that was good for them. It didn't appear at all that they were thinking about God's plans and God's purposes for them. See, that was the problem with the people of Babel. And that's the, this is the point of our, our sermon today. They had disconnected their purpose from God's will. They had disconnected what they believed the purpose of their existence was. They had completely disconnected that from what God's will for their lives was. 
It is so important for us to realize that. It is so important for us to realize that we can do good things. We can even do great things that are disconnected from God's will. That is so crucial for us to understand. Now, I know many of you might be saying, whoa, 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 Charlie, Uh, that's a great point, but that's in the Old Testament. If that's you, then let me go ahead and share with you a scripture from the New Testament that actually reinforces this point in an even stronger manner. I want to take us to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Now, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evil doers. Now this verse ought to wake us up to the danger and the significance of being disconnected from God's will, from taking our purpose and somehow disconnecting it from who God says that we are and who God says that we should be and what we should do. See, Jesus, in this story, in Matthew 7, he wasn't talking to a group of people who took a brick and decided to build a city. He was talking to people who had done what we would describe as great things. He was talking to people who were prophesying in the name of the Lord, who were casting out demons in the name of the Lord, who were doing great deeds in the name of the Lord. In other translations, that's translated as miracles. He was talking to people who were accomplishing miracles in the name of the Lord. And in response to that list of great things, what does the Father say? I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Now, before we go any further, I want to take a moment, and I, and I want to just point out an important distinction before we move forward. It would be easy to dismiss the scripture and to dismiss what I'm saying as works-based salvation. Well, Charlie, you're saying that you've got to work to get into heaven or you've got to work to earn the Lord's favor. And, And I just want to be very clear that in no way am I saying that works equals salvation, that what we do earns us salvation. In fact, I want to take a few moments to just to break down how we as Methodists understand God's grace, how we, how we describe experiencing God's movement and His Spirit in our lives. As Methodists, we describe God's grace in three ways. Now, it's all God's grace. Let me be clear. It's all God's grace. But this is our best effort to describe how we might experience that grace or how we might understand that grace at work in our lives. The first way that we describe God's grace is provenient grace. Now, provenient is just a a fancy church word that means that goes before. 
So this is our description of God's grace that's alive and active in your life before you ever pursue God. Remember, Scripture says that while we were yet God's enemies, he pursued us and he loved us. So this is that grace that, that reaches for you, that, that woos you, that draws you towards God and his grace and his love. Now, the second way that we describe God's grace is his justifying grace. When we experience justifying grace, we're experiencing the power of God's sacrifice on the cross, cleansing us of sin guilt. The way I like to describe this for, for our students going through confirmation is justifying grace when we experience it is just if I had never sinned. Justifying grace. Just if I had never sinned. Now, the last way that we describe God's grace is sanctifying grace. Now, this is the grace of God that empowers us to continue to further grow in likeness of Jesus. This is the, the, the power of God at work in our lives that enables us to connect our purpose with the will of the Father, to live and be and do what the Father wills for us to live and be and do. And I believe that Matthew 7 is describing a lack of evidence of the work of sanctifying grace, that grace that empowers us to live as God's people and to accomplish the purposes that God has for us. Now, John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement, he describes this whole process this way. He says, this is sanctification, which is indeed in some degree the immediate fruit of justification, but nevertheless is a distinct gift of God and of a total different nature. The one implies what God does for us through his son, the other what he works in us by his spirit. Now, I know everyone understood that, and so I really don't need to go forward, but just for my sake, let me paraphrase what, what Wesley is saying there. What Wesley is saying is that God has worked for you through justifying grace. And because he has worked for you in justifying grace, God can now work in and through you in sanctifying grace. So the people in Matthew, here was the problem. The people in Matthew were trying to use what they did to justify themselves. When they were standing before God and it was being questioned whether they were going to be allowed to enter into the kingdom of God, what they used to justify why they should be entered, allowed to enter is we did this for you, God. We did this for you, Lord. We did this for you. But as we said before, we can't justify ourselves before God. Justifying grace only comes through faith in the justifying work of Christ on the cross. Now, here's where I want to make another distinction. Even though our works don't justify us before God and, and justify our entrance into the kingdom of God, that doesn't mean that our work doesn't mean anything or that what we do isn't important. In fact, I would say that what we do is crucial 
It is crucial for us because our fruit, our work should be outward evidence of an inward submission to the will of the Father. Let me say that again. Our work, our outward acts should be a physical evidence of an inward submission to the will of the Father. What we do on the outside should communicate that we've submitted our lives to God inwardly. Our our work should be evidence that our purpose is completely connected to the will of the Father, to what God desires for us. See, the problem with, with the great acts of the people of Babel and the, and the, and the great acts of the, of the people in Matthew, it's not that the acts weren't good. In fact, in both scenarios, you can make the case that, that the, not only were they good, but that they were great. They were amazing acts using the most modern technology to, to build a city and draw people together, performing miracles and casting out demons, all of those things we would describe as amazing. The problem is they were disconnected from the will of the Father. The problem wasn't whether they were good or not. The problem isn't whether they were great or not. The conflict came when we identified that they were disconnected from the will of the Father. Now, this is a crucial thing for us to understand. This idea of good things being disconnected from the will of the Father. Because right now, right now with everything going on in our world, there's lots of opportunities to do good things. There's lots of opportunities to keep busy. There's lots of opportunities to take technology and put it to good use. But the question that needs to be answered is, how can we know that what we're doing, how can we know that our purpose, how we're living, how we're acting, is connected to the will of the Father? Well, I have three steps for us this morning. And remember, I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. God works slowly in the lives of his people. He's a three-mile-an-hour God. He wants to walk with you. He doesn't want to take you from a standstill to a sprint. That's how we get injured. He wants to walk with you. So give yourself grace, give yourself compassion, but be intentional about walking these steps out. And so our first step in knowing that our purpose is connected to God's will is focus on the relationship. Focus on the relationship. You know, it's, it's interesting. As I read Matthew 7, I feel like there's some, some contrast going on in that verse. There's some there's some conflict between titles. As we're reading that verse, you're going you're gonna to find two titles, Lord and Father. Now, the first one, Lord, to me, that communicates a, a, a works-based connection. 
Lord, you're in charge. You tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. It's all based on works. That second title, Father, that communicates a personal family relationship. And so in order for us to know the will of the Father, we need to know the Father. We need to know him. And we need to know that he knows us, that he knows your gifts, your talents, your weaknesses, your setbacks. He knows you. Someone needs to hear that today. The Lord knows you. He knows what you've done wrong. He knows where you've messed up. And can I tell you today, he still has a purpose for your life. He still has plans and purposes. He still has what the Bible calls good works that he planned in advance for you. But in order to know the will of the Father, you need to know the Father. The second step is to know the word of the Father. See, it doesn't matter how good a work is. It doesn't matter how great a work is. If what you're doing or what you're being invited to do conflicts with God's word, with the Bible, I can tell you confidently it is not the will of the Father. So if you want to know what you're doing or or what you're being asked to do is the will of the Father, you need to first compare it to God's word. If it's in agreement, then you can move forward in exploring and, and asking if it's something that God wants you to do. But if it conflicts, you can just stop right there because it is clear that it is not the will of the Father. And if I, if I can be honest with you for a moment, I think this step is probably where, where many of us are getting tripped up right now. So there's lots of good things that we can be doing right now. There's lots of different ways that we can serve and, and I want to be clear, I think those are, those are important right now. Thinking through how we can love our neighbors ourselves and how we can do no harm and do good, that, that's important. But maybe, just maybe, God has some additional guidance in his word for us. I, I want to remind you of what the Father says in Psalms 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Again, I have no doubt that some of the things that that we're doing and some of the ways that we're serving are the will of the Father. But could it also be that in this time, the will of the Father is also for you to stop and be content, learn to be content, just knowing the Father, doing nothing and knowing that God still loves you, doing nothing, and knowing that, he, that that's a part of his purpose. Part of his purpose is for you to know him. And he gives us guidance in, 40, in Psalms 46.10 that one of the ways that we can know him is by being still. I encourage you to really explore that step this week. And the last step for us this week is to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? If you would have went to the, the people in Genesis at the city of Babel and said, why are you doing this? They would have said, to make a great name for ourselves. If you would have went to the, the, the people in Matthew 7 and said, why are you doing this? They would have said, to get into the kingdom of God. 
Asking ourselves why is going to give us great insight to if what we're doing is the will of the Father. Knowing why you're doing something is going to help you determine if what you're doing is the will of the Father. So in closing, as we, as we wrap up today, I, I just want to point out one more thing. I want to remind you, I want to remind myself what we miss out on when we disconnect our purpose from the will of the Father. Can I tell you what we miss out on? Blessings. When our lives, when what we do and who we believe we are is disconnected from the will of the Father, we miss out on blessings. Now, when I say blessings, I'm not talking about big bank accounts or no problems. When I'm talking about blessings, I'm talking about the blessing of knowing who you are. I'm talking about the blessing of knowing that you are loved eternally by a good father in heaven. I'm talking about the blessing of knowing that what you are doing, what you're striving for, is going to have impact and is going to outlast this lifetime. Those are the types of blessings that are available to us when we reconnect our purpose to God's will. I encourage you this week to take some time to work through these three steps to ask yourself, do I know the Father? Do I know the words of the Father? And do I know why I'm doing what I'm doing? And walking through those three steps and depending on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I believe you're setting yourself up to experience the blessings of a father who loves you. Thank you for being here today and being a part of today's service.